back to the Red Reporter Podcast. Uh, we are recording on the evening of July 7th, um, one day after the uh, Major League Baseball season officially got, I guess, announced. Um, you know, they've been kind of piecemealing this all together uh, day by day with still plenty of aspects of it that are still um, completely confusing and or unknowns at this point. Uh, but we did concretely get the schedule. So we know what the Cincinnati Reds are supposed to be doing uh, beginning July 24th and going for, in theory, 60 games towards the end of the regular season after that. So uh, that's kind of the biggest, latest news. Um, and, you know, you, you <laughs> talking about the Major League Baseball schedule is something that I spent a grand total of about four seconds on in the average season because whatever, you're playing everybody and it's 162 games and every game doesn't really matter. Um, that's absolutely not the case in a 60-game season. On top of that, they're doing this thing where it's uh, uh, geographically regent uh, to prevent teams from having to travel excessively despite the fact that some teams are still going to have to travel excessively to be able to pull this off. Um, all those little aspects and nuances of it make it significantly different this year than um, in any year uh, before and hopefully after, to be honest. Um, so we're going to dive in, talk about that, uh, talk about some of the other things that are coming out of Reds camp uh, in Cincinnati, not in Goodyear, Arizona, uh, for summer camp this time around. So uh, joining me this time around, we have the Arkansas Reds fan himself. Arf, what's going on, buddy? Oh, not much. Glad to uh, be back on the podcast. I think the last time I was on here was in the middle of a Reds game. Um was it Back a lo- was August it, or September? Was it a losing season? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Just, I think my t- entire affiliation with Red Reporter has been in losing seasons. So, um, you know, I hope there's no correlation there. But yeah, it was definitely yeah. a losing season. I, I got uh, I got sucked into the Red Reporter uh, uh, universe in late 2008, early 2009 because of Johnny Cueto and Homer Bailey and Joey Votto and Jay Bruce all being these super awesome prospects. And I was like, oh, wow, there might actually be some promise on the Reds horizon. And then sure enough, they had a couple good years and I was like, wow, this is this is awesome. Um Seven years later, here we are. Uh, so, you know, bad, bad Reds baseball, a pandemic, um, and a season that had a lot of promise now being attempted to pull off in completely modified fashion. So, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully we can we can change that 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 tide. Maybe maybe having Arf back on the podcast is what we needed yeah, to stem the tide a little bit. So, um, yeah, also yeah, with us. <laughs> <hopefully. laughs> also with us down in Indianapolis, uh, Derek Grimes. Grimes, what's going on this weekend? Oh, hey man, not a lot. Uh, I enjoyed a little bit of uh, a little bit of a Fourth of July weekend out by a pool, um, socially responsibly. It was just me and my fiance the whole yeah. weekend. Um, <clears throat> so you know, didn't get anybody infected with our germs. Didn't get infected by anybody else's germs. Um, so that's all good. That's all good. And now we're you know kind of thinking about baseball. Uh, the schedule being released is pretty interesting. You know, hopefully they actually get it in, but. Uh, here we are, but while we're reminiscing on what brought us to Red Reporter, 2010 brought me to Red Reporter as a yeah. reader. Um, I started commenting in 2011, um, which was, you know, the, the down year, uh, what I thought was the down year at the time. Uh, <laughs> um, 
2012 really brought me on as a regular. And then ever since I started writing and, and doing this kind of thing in 2015, it's been nothing but uh, hard times. So and yes. 2020 was supposed to be the one that turned it around and well, then came a pandemic. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I feel like my writing style has evolved significantly over the years and it's been so primarily, um, you know, there's the occasional stat based stuff, which I still like to do and like to dig into. But even those of, you know, because <laughs> the underlying stats of teams that keep losing 90 plus games can't be that good. Uh, it's either you write about Joey Votto or you end up uh, uh, spinning some sort of uh, bad tale. Um, but it's been so much sarcasm and dark humor. Um, it's been kind of the one way to really dig through all of this over the last uh, six ish years. And yeah, I'll echo that man coming into 2020. Um, was really looking forward to getting back to some positivity and some sincerity and actually writing about good baseball. So, um, that's been taken from us, obviously in the grand scheme of things that is not anywhere close to the most important thing, but sticking to baseball specifically, that was one thing I was looking forward to as much as actually watching good baseball this year was being able to, uh, spin tales about good baseball for the first time in forever. So, um, you know, uh, trying to get the season in, it's going to be obviously the, the, the big caveat, all this, um, you know, we've, we've, I don't think we've got a day, uh, since baseball announced it was going back where we haven't not only found out about one positive test across baseball, but multiple, I mean, we've got, uh, superstars across the game right now that are legitimately, uh, homesick, quarantined in various, uh, uh, conditions. Um, you know, Freddie Freeman, Charlie Blackman, Tommy Pham, um, uh, all have been impacted by this. So many, several of the uh, the Philadelphia Phillies uh, have been impacted by it as well. Uh, Scott Kingery first is actually uh, tested positive. Uh, Aaron Nola couldn't report to camp because he had been around somebody else who was and had to have multiple negative tests come back. Um, we've seen the, the lack of testing become a very big issue across baseball as well. The Oakland A's have had uh, struggles even actually getting into their first practice because there's been such a backlog of tests that they've had to continue to push things back. So uh, logistically speaking, um, you know what? Uh, July 23rd opening night is 16 days from now. And um, baseball has a whole hell of a long way to go uh, just to get to where I feel like summer camp is going off the way it's supposed to, much less actually bringing teams in from all the other cities and beginning to actually play games. So um, I guess what are your initial thoughts on where baseball is 16 days from the regular season? Uh, Arf, what do you think, man? Um, yeah, like you said, they have a long way to go. I mean, I mean you think of spring training, it's like a month and a half, almost two months. Um, for them to fully get ready to play a full season. And even then, like, teams normally just start off a little bit slower. Um, you know, even the ones that start off winning games, like their hitters aren't coming around, they're pitching it there yet. And so now all of a sudden they've been shut down since March. And given all of the other factors, it's like, okay, you got three weeks to get ready to play a 60-game season. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what baseball actually looks like, um, you know, once July 23rd comes around. If – if it happens, you know, there's so many other variables that are going to play into a season actually starting, um, let alone getting through the whole 60 games. So um, it, it'll definitely be interesting to watch. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a, you know, a microcosm of the Manfred era that they couldn't even take into account. The fact that it's the July 4th weekend um, for to be able to have tests in on time. It's like just different things like that have all factored in and, kind of throw throwing the wrench and everything. Um, 
So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. 100%. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I was reading earlier today. I, I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, God, I'm drawing a complete blank. It wasn't a member of the Reds organization, but they were talking about how all of the staff that's in place, all of the uh, uh, the grounds crew that are helping keeping these stadiums up and going um, are being tested, but they're only t- getting tested twice a week, which is significantly less often than all the players are, despite the fact that they're all there. You know, it's all... It's all one contained stadium. They're human beings. There's no difference. Uh, some are better athletes than the other, but they're still, you know, interacting in the same location. Uh, and to have different testing protocols for those people just doesn't that, that that defeats the whole purpose of trying to pull this off under the initial protocols. So yeah, it's it's pretty clear to me that you know uh, while we spent the better part of two months uh, talking finances about our potential return for a 2020 season more than we were talking about protocols. Uh, it seems that, you know, and there was an extremely lengthy list of things that baseball was going to try to do, not to insinuate that they didn't put work into this, uh, but it's got to evolve. It's got to continually evolve because it's, it's very clear that there is not a, uh, uh, a seamless airtight uh, process so far. Grimey, um, what do you think, man? Yeah, as far as the product on the field, I think it was our own uh, Tony Wolf, uh, Fangraphs own Tony Wolf. I, I saw him tweet something. I want to say it was last night, um, which would be July sixth for those uh, listening right now. Um, <laughs> tweeted something about how, like, of all the times for MLB to do something funky with the ball, right? Like, we've we've lived in the juice ball era, like. I think he was talking about how funny it would be if they just did something like ridiculous, like either just like juice it like four times as much as they have in the previous seasons or just like do like straight dead ball era stuff so that we just, we just knew four games in or whatever that like something like really fucking weird was going on. Right. (laughs) Which would be, I mean, it would be great. Right. Like, and I would say go in the, in the, in the juicier ball sort of way, because I really think that the pitchers, uh, I mean, just from some of the video that I've seen, I really think the pitchers are going to be a little more tuned up and ready, um, more so than the hitters getting. I mean, it's going to take them some time to get their their timing back. Um, I think you, Wick. I think you mentioned in our Slack channel earlier today that like Lance Lynn threw like six no hit innings or something like that. Like all, all fastballs. Fastball. Yeah, yeah, just throwing it by guys because they don't have their timing back. And I think you're going to see that in this really abbreviated summer camp. That, that's a that's, that's a really going to be yeah, the thing. Like that, that's a really good point. I mean, because I think when you come in in the average February, just because of the grind of eight and a half nine months of a baseball season, uh, everybody takes. Uh, December and January completely off for the most part. So when you're rolling into camp, uh, pitchers haven't been throwing. Everybody is kind of on the same square one page. Um, You look at where they were when things stopped on whatever it was, March 12th or whatnot. Uh, Pitchers had begun to ramp up. And just if you just think about the logistics of it, the ability for a major league pitcher to be able to find a wall to throw on or a net to throw into in a bucket of balls, uh, they can very easily recreate and ramp themselves up with bullpen sessions, even if it's just them and nobody else there, to get their arms in shape to where – from March to now, even though you haven't been facing the stress of a, a typical major league, you know, uh, baseball games and interactions and pitching to actual good hitters, their arms should be in pretty good shape. Um, hitters, on the other hand, like there's no there's no way to recreate facing live major league pitching. You know, you can hit off a jugs machine all you want. You can make sure that your your muscles are in shape. You can make sure that your timing on uh, a machine generated fastball is okay. But there's no 
replicating facing major league pitching, much less facing five or six pitchers that pitch with different styles every single day and getting yourself ready for that. So, yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm very interested to see when we actually get some kind of, um, you know, live action inner squad games, just how dominant the pitching is going to be to start this out. Because uh, I think that, you know, as, as you, as we, where we are two weeks before a season starting, I think pitchers are the, the gap between pitchers and hitting right now is infinitely larger than it would be in the average, you know, middle of March, uh, two weeks before a March uh, opening day. So yeah, I think that's going to be very interesting to watch. Um, speaking of actually playing, uh, we do have a schedule. Uh, we're assuming the schedule is not going to have too many snafus. Knock on wood. Um, it's it's still so weird to. to think just objectively about all this because there's so many things that can and will go wrong uh, and how all that gets tweaked is, is, you know, trying to ignore that and just move on to the, just the basic objectivity of it is, it's hard to do every time I, I begin to talk about it, wherever, whatever platform it's on. But um, uh, assuming we don't run into the, all of the roadblocks and uh, the, the myriad obstacles that are out there, um, the Reds are going to start against the Detroit Tigers and they're going to play the Detroit Tigers more than any other non AL central team. Um, the Reds obviously are playing their national cent- NL Central brethren um, five times or no, I guess 10 times total each. Uh, and then playing between six and three games against the AL Central clubs as they stick within um, the, uh, the the Midwest geographic region or whatever the hell we're calling this damn thing. Um, what are your initial thoughts on the schedule? Uh, anything that stands out specifically uh, in it, aside from just the fact that the Reds get to play a 114 loss team from last year uh, six times, I guess. Uh, Grammy, how about you go, man? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what you were talking about before was um... – talking about not spending a lot of time uh, thinking about the schedule over a 162 game slate. Right. But what I always do, and I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I'm not going to like, Oh, like, I mean, like you look at it, sometimes you'll pinpoint like the West coast swing, like in late August or something, you know, that kind of stuff you'll kind of pay attention to that. Oh man. Like they're going out, you know, for 10 games at this point in time, like I wonder what the record's going to be like, like how much could that set them back, especially when we're talking about the Reds, right? <laughs> and, um, but what I always do, especially for any, for any schedule, 162 games or whatever, is I look at the very beginning and I look at the very end, right? So like, cause it's important, even in a 162 game schedule, it's really important to get off to a good stretch, which the Reds are not familiar with in the past several seasons and then also it's it's always interesting to look and be like okay so if they're really if they're in a tight division race or if they're in a tight wild card race like okay where are we where are we ending at you know like if we need to win you know 3 out of 6 games or 3 out of you know like we got to win like you know the last 3 series of uh, you know 6 out of 9 or whatever at the end of the season who we got so looking at that, obviously, I think this uh, beginning part of the schedule seems pretty fortunate for the Reds as far as playing the Tigers as many times as they are. And they've got the Cubs on the middle there, you know, who should still be pretty good. But um, we're getting a, a, a Tigers team right off the bat several times who's not projected to be all that great. So I think, you know, that's pretty fortunate for the Reds playing the AL Central instead of the, you know, AL East is fortunate for the, all of the NL Central, right? But, but you know, getting the Tigers right off the bat. I mean, the, the Reds, if they can get off to, I mean, if they're if they can come out of the gate strong, like getting that those teams 
where every game counts so much more is a big thing. And then I look at the end of the schedule and it's like, okay, if they are, if they're in a really tight and a really tight race in those, after those uh, 57 games, they end this season with three against the twins. Right. So if they're like, you know, they're sitting like a game and a half back and all they need to do is win two or three and they're probably getting one of the, maybe the best team that they're going to face all season for the last three games. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Like every game counts so much more in a 60 game season. I mean, by the end of the, if they're looking at three games at the end of the season, there's so much more that they could have done throughout the 60 game slate. Hopefully we get to the last three games of the season. Right. But as, as fortunate as it is to have so many games against the Tigers to begin with, I, it, it's also kind of unfortunate at the end to play probably the best team they're going to play all year. Yeah, I mean, they finished the season back-to-back, a home versus Milwaukee for three games and an off day, and then uh, three games versus the Twins. And obviously both of those clubs are, you know, teams that uh, expect to make the playoffs this year, uh, teams that have made the playoffs recently. So, um, yeah, it certainly looks like it's going to be a little bit of a gauntlet down the stretch. But fortunately, even though they do finish three at Minnesota, they do have, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine games at home right before that three uh, three game road trip. So in theory, they'll have a chance to, to finish at home with a good spell there. Uh, and it's also worth mentioning that while they're playing the Tigers and Cubs early on, they do open at home with a seven game stretch. So for a club that went one and eight out of the gate last year and three and 18 out of the gate before, um, in theory, they should at least have a chance to get off to a little bit of a faster start this year. Um, Arf, what do you think, man? Um, well, the first thing I thought when everyone was tweeting about the schedule yesterday um, was, you know, wouldn't it be the most Cincinnati Reds thing ever, not only to have the 2020 season that you've been building to uh, nearly canceled or shortened because of a pandemic and then get thrown a bone by the schedulers and having probably the easiest schedule out of everybody and there's not even a guarantee that they're going to finish. So <laughs> two, two things that could have worked in our favor uh, just, you know, have so many question marks behind it. But, um, but yeah, no, I was, I, this is actually like the first time I've truly looked at the schedule. You know, the only thing I had heard was that they play the Tigers and, you know, then they get Kansas city, Pittsburgh uh, and, you know, some, pretty bad teams like who are at least 2019 bad teams um so it obviously looked pretty favorable but yeah that the end of that schedule um you know those last really nine games I mean Chicago the White Sox spent a lot of money this year and you know they're not going to be a bad team by any measure so you know that's nine tough games to finish out the season where like y'all said earlier every game counts um yeah so, no, I would say so that, you know, that's more what you kind of look for is how far ahead can the Reds be at that point? And, you know, can they hang on when you've got, you know, three really good or decent teams when you're not, you know, you've already played Pittsburgh and Kansas City and some of them early on. Yeah, 100 percent. You know, it's uh, while there certainly are some stretches in here uh, and some oddities as well, it's worth pointing out that it's not a balanced schedule, despite the fact that they're playing just division teams. Um, you know, the Reds are going to have to play both the Brewers and the Cardinals, I believe, uh, seven times on the road. And they only get to host them three times at home. Uh, on the flip side of that, obviously, though, is that they get seven games versus the Cubs in Great American Ballpark and only go to Wrigley for three. Uh, same goes with uh, the Pirates in Pittsburgh as well. So certainly some oddities there that, you know, 
for getting to play the Tigers more often than not, the fact that they have to travel 14 games to play uh, the Cardinals and the Brewers on the road um, uh, is, uh, in theory, a little bit more difficult. But let's face facts here. Um, They're not playing the Yankees. They're not playing the Red Sox. They're not playing the Dodgers. Uh, They're not playing Mike Trout. They're not facing Clayton Kershaw or Mookie Betts. Um, uh, They don't have to face off against the Atlanta Braves, who are a juggernaut right now, in my opinion. Um, You know, all told – uh, I think the way the schedule shook out just game by game looks like the Reds got a pretty sweet deal. Um, the other aspect of it, and I mentioned this kind of a, as a teaser earlier, uh, there was a tweet that was out circling around yesterday talking about the geographic locations and nature of this particular season. Uh, and it was noting the total travel distances that these teams are going to have to face this year. Um, every single team in the central region, whatever you want to call it, uh, those all ranked as the lowest amount of miles traveled. I think the Reds are going to travel something in the range of 5,000 total miles uh, the entire season uh, to get to these cities. And that means a lot less time spent in airports, on planes, in buses, and in theory, a lot more time spent at home. Um, I think the Texas Rangers and Houston Astros uh, are the two more isolated teams that have to face teams all over the West. They're traveling uh, like 12 to 14,000 miles over the course of this year. So that's extra hours on planes. That's getting home later every single night. That's all of that stuff. It's more time spent in a plane with people that are trying to fight a pandemic, uh, if you just think about it that way too. So um, more or less every aspect about the way that this schedule is shaken out benefits the Reds. Um, The one thing that I think perhaps more than anything, especially since there aren't going to be fans in stands and you almost kind of, uh, at least my mind at least, uh, uh, tries to kind of pick out what other narratives are going to be out there. Um, Yesterday we saw footage of Nick Castellanos apparently after he had previously popped out to center field off of Trevor Bauer taking batting practice or uh, live, whatever you want to call it, in Great American Ballpark. Um, Step back in the batter's box. They hit about a 470-foot home run into the upper deck. Uh, bat flipped jokingly. It was, it was positive banter. Uh, but it reminded me that Castellanos was a longtime Detroit Tiger. Trevor Bauer was a longtime Cleveland Indian. Those two have faced each other a lot. I mean, those are two teams that face off in a lot of big games over the course of their career. Um you factor in who the Reds are playing and how you know diluted, uh, or I guess not diluted, how concentrated um, the, the schedule is this year with just playing uh, central teams. Uh, you added Mike Moustakis as well, longtime Kansas City Royal, uh, twice in Milwaukee Brewer also. Um, the Reds' big additions over the last year or so all came from clubs that they're going to be facing exclusively this year. Um, so I think there's going to be some interesting – uh, I don't know, inside information or not. Uh, obviously, there's been plenty of turnover with a lot of those clubs as well. Um, but there are going to be plenty of players playing in familiar confines um, and against familiar teammates or former teammates, uh, despite the fact that there is uh, a, a stranger schedule this year. And um, that's certainly one of the storylines that I'm, I'm looking to, to, to follow this year. Um, speaking of Castellanos, in terms of actual on-field baseball news, uh, he gave probably the juiciest quote or series of quotes, and I say quotes, I don't have the article pulled up in front of me, as I probably should, uh, but the gist of what he said to, to media uh, today um, was that he largely picked the Cincinnati Reds because he thought they were going to be good, um, but he also picked them because he thought it gave him an opportunity to not be a designated hitter. Uh, he wants to play the field. He has primarily played the field, despite not exactly being a plus defender as a, a career Detroit Tiger and Chicago Cub. Um, but he expressed the fact that he wants to continue to get better as a, a defender and feels comfortable in right field. Um, with the National League getting the DH 
for this season. Uh, expanding the lineup and kind of optimizing things the way that you wanted to the best. Uh, a lot of people kind of penciled in Castellanos as the DH because he kind of fit that mold. Um, it sounds like that's not what he really wants to do, understandably. And that's why he signed this massive contract with the Reds, because he wanted to be able to do what he wanted to do, which is his right as a free agent. Um, what are your thoughts on that and how much that's going to help impact David Bell putting up the lineup every day? And what his options are if Castellanos is just going to be your everyday right fielder, which defensively isn't the most optimal thing, but he was going to be in the lineup every day anyway. Um, R40, think, man. Um, yeah, I was. I had the article pulled up uh, with the quote in it. Just, I mean, w- what you said was basically it. With a professional, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, looking at the the guys who were in contention for the out outfield spots is Castellanos, Sinzel. Uh, Akiyama, Winker, and Irvin, you know, you've got another hitter who isn't the best defender in Jesse Winker. So you kind of have, you know, kind of have to pick your poison if you're going to go with one of them in the field. And, you know, Philip Irvin isn't going to be your an everyday outfielder. You know, he's going to be more of a, a platoon guy. So I think you can make it work um, with, you know, with Castellanos, Sinzel, and Akiyama out there. Um, and then kind of platooning Winker and Irvin, uh, especially, you know, giving the right-handed heavy pitching staff that, we're, that the Reds are going to be facing, um, you know, having Winker as a DH uh, a lot of the time, um, you know, and then just kind of flipping Castellanos in there uh, when you want to get Winker out in the field some or give uh, Irvin some starts. So I think you can make it work, but that was uh, definitely interesting to hear because, you know, as soon as the – the news came out that there was going to be a designated here. I think, like you said, most people penciled in uh, Castellanos to take that spot. Yeah. I mean, you even look back towards what Dick Williams said a couple uh, a little over a week ago, I guess, is that he outright came out and said that this roster was built to have a DH. Um, and you look at yeah. some of the four-year contracts they gave to Castellanos, who obviously has opt-outs in there as well, but signing him, signing Shogo, signing Mustakis, and still having that glut in the outfield, you, you kind of knew something was going to have to shake. And obviously getting the DH is the, the shake that the Reds need. And I agree with you in that regard that, you know, if you if you want to set your everyday outfield as just Shogo Senzel Castellanos and then almost rotate your DH platoon-wise again, uh, between Winker, Phil Irvin, maybe get Phil Irvin the occasional start in the outfield against a lefty and, and set Shogo for that day, maybe even carry Aristide Sakino purely to be a DH against left-hand hitters uh, because you've got the expanded roster for the first couple weeks. Uh, or left-handed pitchers, rather. Something like that, it really unlocks the ability for David Bell to kind of make those decisions. And if there's one thing we saw last year, uh, it's that David Bell loves having the ability to make moves. He, he was a very, very proactive um, uh, pinch hitter, uh, uh, pitching change manager. He was an active manager out there. And so, um, well, on the surface, the DH kind of reduces his need or ability to make on-the-fly decisions mid-game, uh, the the wealth of options he has almost turns it into a pregame ability to kind of make those same decisions uh, and kind of bake them in there. Um, Gravy, what do you think, man? Yeah. And I'm going to, I was actually thinking about this quite a bit today. Um, And I don't, Winker is like, if you had to, I don't know if we had to break it down between who's worse in the outfield (laughs) between Winker (laughs) and Castellanos. I don't really know that there's an obvious choice there. Um, Neither one of them grayed out to be particularly great, right? So, but, but put it this way, if, that, like, 
If they're both in the same outfield, I don't care if Billy Hamilton's your center fielder, you're not going to have very good outfield defense. <laughs> right, right. That's what I mean. So having the DH, like I don't know that necessarily that Nick Castellanos is automatically just penciled in there every day. Like other than, you know, because of how – and it's not to say that Castellanos is old. I mean, I think he's 28. Uh, other than Winker being – cheaper and under team control for longer, more guaranteed. Maybe you'd like to see him out there a little more, see what he can work on, whatever. Um, but what I'm going to bring up that you guys haven't already is the infield as well. I mean, it's a 60 game season, so the rest isn't going to make much or as nearly as much of a difference as it would over 162 game slate, but they've got a nearly 37 year old Joey Votto at first base that could probably take a couple games off at DH every so often. You've got, Moustakas at second base, which isn't his natural position, um, that could probably filter out every so often. And you've got Nick Senzel and Eugenio Suarez who came into the season with shoulder problems, right? So it wouldn't be the end of the world to have Eugenio Suarez DH every so often, move Moustakas over to his natural position, I'm going to say put Senzel at second. I don't know if they'll actually do that. Or get Nick Senzel into DH every so often just to get him out of the outfield and to stop running into walls, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like the rest part isn't going to be nearly as big of a deal as it would be over the course of a full season, but they have those options. Like, okay, like Castellanos doesn't have to do that every day because we could put these other guys in that spot and still – fit somebody else in where it makes sense. Um, and that's a huge, huge boon for the Reds this year. Um, and and then one thing I want to touch on real quick, though, is it is a 60-game season. Um, I think I th- if they get through it all, they crown a World Series champion. That, pers- that team is the World Series champion for 2020. They're the World Series champion, period. If people want to talk about asterisks, whatever. I don't, I don't believe in all that. But – it is a 60 game season. It is only so, so long. It may not even finish whatever. They've also kind of kind of keep the dude happy, right? Like if Castellanos is coming out and saying, Hey guys, I don't want to DH every day. They stick him in the DH every day. And then he opts out of, at the end of the season that may not even finish because he doesn't want to play here anymore because they did him wrong. Like that's something they got to think about a little bit. Like, I don't know that he would do that. And I don't know how much of that actually plays into their decisions, but that comes into play just a little bit. Yeah, I honestly, you know, in in retrospect, thinking about his option decisions, because he's got an opt out after this year and after the next year as well. Um, and kind of piecemealing that together with Dick Williams' comments about this roster being built to have a DH, you almost wonder uh, whether it was handshake or actually in the finite document that they both signed. Uh, the collective bargaining agreement is up after next year as well. You almost wonder if when that officially was announced was something that would uh, prompt and or non-prompt Castellanos to opt out or opt in. You know, it was almost like that he was kind of waiting to find out if other teams were going to have a DH or not to make his decision again going forward about whether or not which clubs he wanted to be on. Because, you know, obviously, uh, you know, having a guy like that around and having the depth that the Reds have – the moment they said there's a DH, they had good people to fill in. But in theory, it also creates 15 jobs. It, it creates 15 everyday jobs when you have it. 
that teams weren't factoring in necessarily before the season. Um, so suddenly that's a larger market for guys that aren't necessarily defensive superstars, but are very good offensively. So yeah, all of that kind of rolls together in this weird, weird scenario that uh, I feel like the Reds were very proactive in anticipating, obviously not, obviously not knowing how it was going to get implemented for a 60 game 2020 season. Um, but it feels like that contract was almost perfectly structured for them both to be able to react accordingly for when the inevitability of the DH coming to National League came around. So um, yeah, I mean, 60 game season, it's uh, it's intense. You know, we, we, we're going to see the Reds play the Detroit Tigers twice in exhibition games uh, two days before the actual opening of the season on the 24th and then three against the Tigers at home before a four game set against the Cubs. Um, you almost wonder if, Hey, it's just the Tigers. Um, do, do you roll out like Bauer, Discofani, Miley to face the Tigers for the first three games so that you can save Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo for the bigger series in theory against the Cubs that comes up next. I mean, uh, you know, we, we've seen, uh, uh, Derek Johnson talk about how this is going to be a very weird uh, season to manage the pitching staff uh, completely. We've seen Trevor Bauer talking about wanting to start every four days. Um, it really feels like you're going to see teams maybe manage the entire season almost the way they manage a postseason roster, especially with the player pools and the expanded 30-man, 28-man, 26-man rosters. All of these things are kind of conspiring to say um, traditional roster management and traditional nine-inning game management is going to be wildly different. Um, even, I say, nine-inning game uh, management, um, starting extra innings with a runner on second base means we're not going to see any 14, 15, 16-game uh, inning games either, which saves bullpens also. Um, safe to say, I think we're going to see some really, really quirky things when it comes to those kind of pitching decisions. Uh, I guess we can kind of wrap with this, but what are your, what are your thoughts on what you think – you might see with a condensed 60 game season paired with expanded rosters. Cause it almost feels like those two are, you know, it's almost the, they're the opposite ends of the spectrum. You think if it was just 60 games, you have a limited roster or if you had expanded roster, it was to get through a big season. Instead, you've got both, which gives managers what more options than they ever had to make these wild decisions. Um, Grimey, what do you think, man? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to, I don't know that it'll be the most. And I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but I don't know if it'll be, it'll end up being that the the most creative team or manager wins. Uh, I think there might be some that try to get too cute and they'll lose a lot and then they'll be yeah. out of it in the first two weeks. Right. Like I think it's going to be interesting, like to your point about looking at the schedule and being like, Oh, we have the tires and then the Cubs. Like let's, I, I think it's, especially at the beginning of the season, you play your best, you play your best nine, like pitching staff uh, starting lineup, regardless, you know what I mean? Like, I think we can kind of get cute with some of that stuff like later on, like we were talking about those last nine games. Like, um, you know, if, if, if you've got like a four or five game cushion or whatever, like you can get kind of maybe cuter there. But like, you know, we, we don't really know what these guys are going to look like when they first get out there. Um, so I think at the beginning of the season, even though it's just the Tigers, right? I don't know that I think I just put my best, you know, I, I, I go with my opening day, you know, starter, quote unquote, or whatever, and I let it roll. But man, I think the, the bullpen usage is going to be fun. Um, and by, by fun, I mean, like you said, quirky. I don't know if it'll be fun for all of us watching as far as with the expanded, <laughs> with the expanded rosters and the guys go four innings and then it's a pitching change after every inning or whatever. Like that's not so much fun, but 
but no, I mean, I do think it's going to get weird. And honestly, in a in a sixty game season in twenty twenty, that's been weird as fuck. Anyway, like, let's just get weird, right? Like, I don't give a shit. Like, let's just do it, you know. And I don't and know if other... I can say all those words and keep this not like you know parental no, no. on iTunes or whatever. But no, I'm just saying, let's get weird. Like, it, I'm I'm I, I'm kind of embracing that. Like, the weirder the season can get, the better. Honestly, like, but that that's just, the let's try that's. That's the aspect of it that also I feel like you almost have to bake in from the start. In order, if you want to chime in on this in a second, absolutely go at it. But uh, what, you've got to prep teams to be ready to lose their best players at any given moment. You know, even if the coronavirus gets them and they don't get super sick, they're still going to get quarantined and they're still going to have to pass negative tests. Even if you are asymptomatic and you actually don't have the debilitating aspects that this disease does do to many people who get it, you might lose a starting pitcher for two starts, just like that. And suddenly you've got to completely recreate the bullpen. You know, you might lose Pedro Strope for two weeks and suddenly it's like, okay, well, shit, who's going to, who's our new Strope? You know, you've got to be ready to do that at the drop of a hat. And it's almost like if you prep the guys to be willing and able to do, weird and unorthodox things to start the season um they might be better prepared for when the inevitability does happen of some key player getting sick and having to be quarantined you know yeah um um, that's that's what i was going to bring up um you know i it's definitely going to be weird and quirky and stuff but i think really what it's going to come down to and i i hate to say it in this context about the coronavirus like who has the deepest like 60 man roster because you know you mentioned one of your key players gets out well there's the contract contact tracing aspect of it it's like okay he's sharing lockers or next to certain people with lockers you know and so they have to quarantine too you know it's not it's not just like all right this guy's sick he's out you know you could be looking at quarantining three or four people at a time just because they were around the guy enough that was sick and, you know, it's a lot of the recommendations right now are saying, you know, if you get it, like, you know, no exercise for at least 10 days, and then you've got to pass some certain cardiac screening, if you're going to at least do it safely to bring these people back. So it's, you know, if you're asymptomatic, you're looking at two weeks, probably, at least, um, that you could be missing someone. And that's, uh, you know, I guess, you hate to look at it in a, uh, in a pessimistic way, but you know, you kind of will see which organizations will not truly follow it. If someone is asymptomatic and it's, you know, September 30th and they test positive, it's like, all right, well, are they going to actually follow the rules and keep the guy out for when they're supposed to, or, uh, or, you know, keep playing him? Um, you know, that's, yeah. that's kind of the cynical way to look at it, but it, it's a possibility, you know, percent going there too, man. Like, I was like, I mean, when you look back at the Astros, right? Like all everything that they were, and not that you can catch sign stealing, right? But everything that they were doing was like completely underboard against the whole point, right? And you're telling me that there's not going to be teams out there. Like if this is an actual season, they're going to want to win the World Series, right? Like a guy, oh, yeah. a guy's completely yeah. fine. He tests positive for it. He's not showing any signs and they're just going to, <clears throat> yeah, that's negative. <clears throat> you know, go ahead. You know, going on out there, you know, <laughs> like. I don't know. Like that's like like you guys said, that was a really cynical way to look at it. But my mind went there immediately. Yeah, I mean, the other aspect of it is also that we've seen already that testing and the result process is a complete shit show. 
Sometimes it's back in a day. Sometimes it's back in three days. Sometimes it's not back at all. Sometimes they ask you to take a second test three days later and you haven't even gotten the first test results back. Um, you might find out like literally eight minutes before a player is supposed to start that their test results came in and boom, they've got it. Who's who's going to start? You you know, there's no, there's no AAA season. There's nobody in Louisville who's on regular rest who's ready to go. Uh, you've got to keep all of these contingency plans prepped um, fortunately, the Reds have their uh, Prasco Park uh, 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 taxi squad facility 19 miles away up in Mason. Um, but like all of that, how, how do you, you you've got to have contingency plans in place in such a more rapid fire fashion this year than I think we've ever seen before. Because, yeah, you know, you, you find out an hour before the game that suddenly the guy's on the mound throwing. He's not hurt but you have to come out and tell him that his test is positive. And then suddenly you've got to quarantine him, figure out who is with him and then figure out who can pitch nine innings that day, you know, and just swap them out and just move immediately. And, you know, yeah, obviously injuries play a part in major league baseball season. Um, and they're certainly never predictable, but the support system is what's predictable. You know, there always is the minor leagues. There always is depth from multiple levels with people that are always ready to go. Um, trying to keep everybody ready to go when all you've got is that 60-person player pool uh, and no regular competition. I it's I, I, I think when you if you had a chance to ask managers about two weeks into the season if they've slept, there aren't going to be any managers who say, yes, I've been sleeping great every single night because it's going to be a juggle for front offices, for and dugout management, and there are going to be so many, I say unexpected because it will be unexpected at the time, but predictably unexpected occurrences that they're just going to have to wing it and hope that they've got players that are able to step into those voids immediately because there's going to be no prep time for it. And um, it's unenviable for sure. But when you talk about whether or not a 2020 season is legitimate, you navigate a full season of that. You navigate inevitably losing players to sickness, whether they're out for a week or for a month or for the season. You walk away winning four out of seven in whatever World Series that they call this year. You're the fucking World Series champion, and that's all there is to it because this is going to be a season that is going to grind as hard as a typical seven-month season. And we haven't even gotten to the off-the-field family issue stuff as well. That you know, So many players that are playing away from their families because of – health reasons they've got baked in there too. So, um, yeah, I, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for what it could be, I think is the best way to describe it. I'm worried for what it could be. Um, but I'm also, uh, uh, it's tantalizing just to think about how teams are going to try to pull this off. And, you know, I think what we've highlighted tonight is that if there is a team that's in a, uh, a pretty sweet spot position to be able to pull it off, it's the Cincinnati Reds, and that's not something we've been able to say at this point, 16 days before a season starts in a long, long time. So um, any final thoughts, you guys? Uh, Arf, you got anything else you want to get off your chest? Uh, nope. You know, let's let's just see what happens. That's kind of what I've been saying all along, you know, not only with baseball, but, you know, with my line of work. Uh, you know, the, the let's just see what happens thing is, kind of what's been the theme for the last four months um you know what's what's the the scouts motto just be prepared <laughs> it's kind yeah, of uh yeah kind of kind be of all prepared. you can do at this point you know so yeah. me, how about you man yeah i mean i just i want the thing to go off um as, as, uh, as long as possible as safe as possible i mean 
and you know, like we've got a little over two weeks, you know, um, I mean, if teams, players, uh, I think uh, Mike Rizzo from the, the nationals was the one that came out uh, yesterday and was kind of like, yeah, this, this testing thing is kind of food bar right now. Like, if, if those <laughs> yeah. guys, I mean, if those guys decide that after being there, after trying to do it, after seeing what's going on, that the league can't do this right. And it's not safe, but then by all means, like, I'll, like, you know, cancel it. Right. Like, but I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to believe right now that they're doing it. These players have showed up. We've seen the reds, um, players having fun doing the, doing the things like it's not to say that they're having fun and, and they're not worried about their personal safety. I mean, I'm sure they are, but as long as these guys think it's safe um, and as long as the league is doing what they're, what they need to be do to do this safe, I don't know if there's any way to actually do this safe 100% safely, but I'm just going to kind of operate in the mode that they're going to do this. They're going to do it safely as possible. Um, and I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited for the season, and I hope that it, you know some something catastrophic doesn't happen in the meantime. Yeah, which yeah. It's basically well, 2020 in in the nutshell, right? Like, I'm just gonna yeah. I'm gonna enjoy it, hoping something catastrophic doesn't happen in the meantime. Yeah. No. No. 100. percent And uh, yeah, that's all we can do. And and as I've mentioned several times elsewhere, um, I'm I'm not the most enthusiastic about the idea that they're ready to get this thing started. Um, I don't think they're quite prepared for it, but if they're going to do it, we're going to be watching, you know, it's, it's, it's going to happen. We're going to be paying attention. And if we're paying attention, we're going to cover it. That's how it's going to go. And, um, you know, I'm trying to keep the, uh, the optimistic glasses on every time I, I, I see what's going on, but, um, it's going to be a hurdle after hurdle season. And, um, yeah, that's just where we are at this point. So, well, cool. Um, thank you all for joining me. Thank everybody out there for listening. You can find us at redreporter.com uh, on Twitter at Red Reporter. Uh, if you happen to venture over to Facebook, we do have a decent Facebook following at uh, Red Reporter fans. Um, that's more of a post and uh, run the fuck away uh, location for us. Um, but you can still find some of our stuff there posted pretty frequently. Um, and yeah, yeah, we're on SoundCloud. Uh, we're trying to get back on Spotify, which we hope to be back on at some point this season. So uh, find us where you find us, iTunes, whatnot, elsewhere. Um, yeah, uh, for Arf and for Grammy, uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you the next week. <laughs>